Hello, everybody, and welcome to Information Requested, a podcast about progression fantasy and other things we think about. My name is Bamphius, also known as Bamf, and I'm, and I'm here with Remixed, the man, the myth, the legend himself. <laughs> Remixed. How's your holidays, man? Pretty good. Happy pretty holidays. Good. Quiet. Yeah, you too. Um, quiet, more quiet than usual just because of uh, the pandemic, but definitely spent some time with the closest of family members, my wife and uh, my uh, sort of kid that lives with us. <laughs> nice. Well, congratulations on that. The little one on the way. Yeah, uh, I went to Houston, actually, um, and kind of had a, a bigger Christmas, mainly because my mom's already had COVID. She okay. beat it in like a very short amount of time. Uh, nice. She was doing all the preventative stuff. Still got it. Uh, but because of that, everyone in my immediate family has been tested and everyone tested negative. Uh, and so she was just self-quarantining until she mm-hmm. tested negative. So we knew that everyone in our immediate family was negative. And so we were able to go and have a good time. And it, it was nice because it was the first bit of like normalcy of this year. Cause Thanksgiving was awkward um, yeah. because of like that COVID situation, like manifesting, but the, the Christmas has been, it's been great. And uh, new, new year's is going to be great too. So, but we're squeezing in a, another podcast right before the new year. So right. this is episode three coming to you at the tail end of 2020. And we're hoping to uh, bring you into the new year with some fun progression fantasy content. So, right. And we're hoping you might the have, title <laughs> won't change every episode soon. So, yeah, I was yeah. about to say you might have noticed that uh, I our intro is ever changing. We're just it's like trying on a different hat. You know, you got to see how it feels. And I think that with regards to the contest, a remix, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we're on the same page here that information requested is yeah. in the lead. Absolutely. It's something we both like, and it has something to do with, you know, the series that's inspiring this uh, thing to start uh, from the beginning. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, and a podcast of progressive intent confused someone. They thought it was like <laughs> or that first of all, they were worried it was a political podcast. Like, come on. <laughs> Obviously, it's not. Uh, but right. now it has uh, soiled that title for us. So information requested it is. And uh, I have a lot of information to request from you, Remixed. Um, okay. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, before I do, we will announce the winner next week. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, I have your signed copy here. Um, you can witness that it is a legitimately signed copy by Mr. Will White. I would compare it, yeah. but I don't want to reach up to the other ones. But it, it, it's legit. Nice. It has it has the Bamfia certificate of uh, of authenticity. Right. All right, remixed. I have some information to request of you. All right, request. Away. What have you read lately? What have you read lately? And tell me about it. Good question. Uh, so the thing I've been reading most recently is a book you recommended to me. Actually, it's in the uh, lit RPG genre, and it's called The Hero of Thera. Um, it's really good so far. It's really interesting. And I don't want to spoil a whole lot of things, but a high level overview is, um, this man is sentenced to death. He finds a way out via an alternate universe where video game rules are real life. Uh, and you know, you die in the game, you die in real life kind of uh, scenario. And then everything gets flipped 
against what you would expect to normally happen in a series like mm-hmm. that. And um, that's why I'm really, really enjoying it. Um, it's got a really good set of rules that uh, aren't necessarily um, typical uh, for that genre either. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of surprises around the corner. The writing is really, really so, good. And That's cool to hear from because I... I'm not a big lit RPG reader, and I know this is not a lit RPG podcast, but this is a book I recommended to Remixed, and it is progression adjacent. Um, so right. it you know it works, but the reason why I read it to begin with is because it's written by a guy named Eric Nyland, and Eric Nyland wrote many of the Halo books early on. He wrote The Fall of Reach. Uh, he wrote a couple other books, I think uh, The Ghosts of Onyx. These are books that I read in high school. And so he's a legitimate author, and he wanted to venture into the lit RPG realm, and he wrote some good stuff. Now, I realize that what you just described, a lot of you uh, listening to this are probably like rolling your eyes, like, oh, that's like how all the lit RPGs start. But it it very quickly turns the tropes on its head, and yeah. it does it in a pretty creative way, like – for example, uh, the MC was uh, he was framed. He was framed. That's why he's on death row, uh, and he was a lot. He was a gamer his whole life, and so because of that, because he was framed, and this might be a little bit of a spoiler for you, but in like an abstract way, remixed. Okay. The person that framed him is one of the reasons why he was at the top of the list to to, to trial for this oh. game for this like universe impacting IRL that definitely does make me able to guess what I think who framed him, but that's totally fine because I kind of, we can talk about it in a couple of that already. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really good so far. Um, and yeah, it does start out with, with the tropes, um, of lit RPG. And then it, like you said, it turns those tropes around pretty quick. I would say, um, it, it just establishes you in a familiar setting and then, takes that away pretty quick i think so it's really cool yeah the the sequel is called like a thousand drunken monkeys <laughs> it's 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 pretty good too so, right. solid stuff solid stuff cool you want to hear what so, i've read lately absolutely would you like to request some information for me i have been reading a series you recommended called the Tao of magic and if I could explain this, how can I explain this? I'm probably going to like make some of you not want to read it, but I, I've enjoyed it so far. It's like if you took like the smartest character in the American Pie movie and then like had him pass away and get isekai'd <laughs> into like a 10-year-old cultivator's body. That's such a and weird then way to put it. That's funny. Almost ascend, but then get bitch slapped back to like a lesser realm. <clears> then <throat> have to start your cultivation over. So he gets isekai twice. And he starts off on this planet with like a uh like a lesser like a lesser system. So it would be like if your emotions could create an effect on the energy and different emotions could affect different affinities of, of the elements. And then if you combined all those affinities together, you'd get basic pure madra. And then you can manipulate that. Um, and so that's kind of like how the book starts. He gets, you know, bitch slapped back to uh, a lesser plane of existence and then gets to go about doing stuff. But he's basically like the smartest character in American Pie. 
I say that because he he like the, he's like a, an immature immortal, super smart. He applies like the scientific method to everything that he does. His his Tao is like the Tao of neutrality and freedom. And so he tries to stay out of all of all affairs and he ends up continually screwing up and then like thinking himself out of his situations, constantly like creating comedic situations. One of the reviews I read said, this book sucks, but I can't stop reading it and I love it. This is for book three. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to put it. And and so if, if the author's reading this or listening to this, I think your writing is hilarious. Um, I think that if you had like a grammar editor, that would be helpful because I've, I've like read the book while listening to the audio book and mm-hmm. the audio narrator will like fix some of the typos as he's reading it. Interesting. I didn't know. And that. I even noticed that the audio narrator changed one or two words in some of the comedic lines to make them less cringy and it made them funnier in the process. That's funny. I haven't read it. I've only listened to it. So that's interesting to know that, that it's yeah. written a little bit differently. But uh, the first two and a half books are uh, good enough to scratch the itch for you uh, cradle lovers out there. Um, one of the reasons Will wrote Cradle is so that he could like have a book series to recommend to people that like fantasy that doesn't have like the the caveats when you recommend something that has some cringe in it. Like, so I'm about to give a caveat. The MC says some like pretty dumb stuff. Like it might offend some people, but it is said with like comedic intent. And so if you take it at at that face value of it being comedy, uh, it's pretty funny because in a sense, the book is from a first person point of view and he's basically narrating in his own head the whole time. And so like you get his like the the filter of his ego and how he thinks about things. And like so it's a very unfiltered view of the main character's existence. I think it's I think it's worth a read. It's like ninety nine cents on Kindle. And then the audio book is like a couple bucks more. So I think it's worth it. But with that being said, uh, let's move on to progression fantasy at its finest. And uh, today's topic, Remix, why don't you let us know what today's topic is? Today we're going to be talking about magic systems and specifically what makes uh, progressive fantasy progressive um, as far In our as opinions. magic system goes. Yeah. Yeah. Like what to us, because there are some, it's a relatively new subgenre, right? Mm-hmm. And so not all the books that we would consider progression fantasy are put into the subgenre. Right. So, Remix, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. What do you think in your – I'm putting you on the spot here, I know. No, but fine. in your own words or in your own thoughts, what, what do you consider to be a progress, progression fantasy novel? Um, I think it, uh, at the loosest terms, you could easily draw a hierarchy of the magic system itself or almost like a tournament bracket. Uh, or a family tree of some sort, uh, maybe with only one parent uh, instead of two parents. But basically, you, there's a way to find out how strong somebody is uh, in relation to everyone else. And when I say strong, I mean mm, okay. advanced in the magic system. So uh, there's a clear top, at least from the perspective of the 
um, of the main character of the of the book, there's a you at least have a perception of where you think the top is and where the bottom is. There's no uh, extreme uh, blurred between you know like the strongest mage and the uh, and the weakest mage, quote unquote. Um, in the world. So an example, um, would be from the sufficiently advanced magic system, having the different colors of, uh, uh, core, I think it's, it's actually been, a it's while the different, it, but, um, it's the amount of mana that you have determines right. your, uh, I guess tier or, or like the potency. Mm -hmm. And it also determines the power of your shroud, right? Which is kind of like your defense, like your, your passive de defense, Right. And then um, in Cradle, uh, you have an extremely well-defined magic system where each um, each level has a name. Um, and generally a way to get there um, is, is revealed, like what defines somebody that's a sage, somebody that's manifested in an icon, uh, and also is an arch lord in uh, maybe. Most <laughs> that, of the, the time. That's the one part, yeah. Most of the time. Right. So. It, yeah, you... I mean, that's the most abstract of them all, too. And so, like, the fact that the most abstract tier still has, like, a set sequence of rules around it, I think is important to me. So, like, for me, and you, you nailed most of it on the head uh, with regards to, like, the tiers of power. But for me, a progression fantasy novel puts the requirement of improvement or getting stronger as a as a major plot point okay you know because you have some other novels where they have like a progressive magic system but the plot doesn't necessarily revolve around their power power up so the only really good example i could think of since we started uh, recording this episode is the stormlight archive okay yeah. so you have your knights radiance and they say their oaths and they're able to increase their power. Right. So one of the in the first two books, the the amount of oaths that you've sworn didn't really impact the plot. It wasn't like a core component of the plot. Like I think the plot of the second book was to like bring all the different nations together because the Everstorm's coming. The plot of the first book is following Kaladin's journey through being a slave with Bridge Four and Shallan's journey of trying to steal a fabrial um, from Yasna right. and then finding herself, you know, in the, in the camps. So in this instance, you don't consider uh, the Stormlight Archive a progressive fantasy. I, I don't consider the Stormlight Archive progression fantasy, but I consider it to have a progression based magic system. Right. Because as you say more oaths, you get stronger. Um, right. So I think that right. a lot of Brandon Sanderson's books in general, uh, are probably what we would call adjacent to progression uh, progression fantasy, just because the the plot usually doesn't um, revolve you know, around the magic system. But his magic systems are always well defined, well, which is kind of getting stronger isn't or, or isn't like a major plot point. I agree. Like in right. Warbreaker, there are literal tiers mm -hmm. of um, what's it called? I guess investiture, but with how many souls you have, right? Uh, so anyway, yeah, the, like there are literal tiers and. Um, but those aren't a main part that that doesn't push the plot along like in cradle for them to achieve their goals. They have to level up. They have to progress mm -hmm. in arcane ascension for them to achieve their goals. They have to progress and get stronger. Mm -hmm. And usually the, the, 
way that you move the plot is to uh, the character needs to go somewhere in order to progress. So like you know, yeah. Black Flame, have a training montage. The Black Flame Empire. Uh, they need, they're always talking about training pills and stuff like that. And yeah. Yeah. So. And so like the classic, the classic like magic system type of thing that I find most common, uh, I guess it's, it's a, it's a different adjacent genre or like a sub sub genre is the Wuxia or the Zhangxia, um, Chinese, uh, genres that mm-hmm. are based around cultivation uh, for the Zhangxia and the Wuxia based around like the magical martial arts. Right. Um, and so like the cultivation type thing is, is very, it's a very well-trodden path. There are very well-defined tropes. Um, but that again, doesn't necessarily put that in the genre of progression fantasy because it doesn't have to be cultivation. It just has to be a magic system in which you have to progress through it to, achieve the main points of the plot for the, for the main characters. Right. Cool. What other, uh, do you have any other like examples? Cause I mean, like street cultivation, that's cultivation. Um, um, Harry Potter kind of, I can talk about that. My thoughts there. What about you? I would say, uh, another adjacent genre is the lit RPG genre because that's, it's almost like the other extreme when we're talking about like, um, uh, you know, Brandon Sanderson isn't quite progression fantasy because the plot doesn't revolve specifically around the magic system itself, or it doesn't require the magic system to move the plot along, rather. Uh, you have the other end of the spectrum, like where that's most of the book is the magic system itself, um, or even uh, not necessarily magic, but the way that the, a character progresses, is they literally level up and, and stuff. So there's not a well-defined way of how this person is achieving all of this power. It's more of their allocating stat points. And uh, there's so much information that um, it's not exactly progressive progression fantasy, I think, because um, it's yeah, Once you it's have a stat sheet, yeah. <laughs> that's when it becomes like game lit or like lit RPG. Right. So I don't know a lot about game lit. Are, are there stat sheets in game lit? A lot of times, yes. Sometimes, no. But okay. a lot, uh, I would say about 80% of the time um, there are. And that's, I think, where um, you kind of start find It's really difficult to define a difference between progressive and non-progressive when there isn't a stat sheet, but it's like a video game-based world kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. I think you could call some of the, some of those books. Um, there's, a, there's a book called Dante's Immortality, and I really wish the author would pick the book uh, series back up and finish it, by the way. Um, but that series um, I would consider more of a progressive uh, fantasy, even though there are there is, I think, a stat sheet maybe one or two times in that book. The way that um, the way that the magic system works and is defined is a lot more intricate. So like you understand how these people are getting their power other than getting experience for killing something. Uh, if that makes sense, you know, like Lyndon mm-hmm. can't just kill a dread beast and get 200,000 experience and level up to the next level and he's a sage. Uh, I think that's what makes that a progressive fantasy as far as uh, Cradle goes. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much that Cradle does well that mm-hmm. I don't see a lot of other series doing well. I mean, Street Cultivation and Arcane Ascension both have had stat sheets. With Street Cultivation, you have your portfolio where you look and see what your like your Lucrama soul like is. And you can see your different cores and stuff. And then even with Arcane Ascension... In the first book, the main character creates 
a tool to measure his mana, mm-hmm. which then, okay, he, it, it actually becomes a plot point where the main character becomes addicted to checking his stats. Oh, right. Yeah. And like, he like makes it like a logical thing to himself because his, uh, what's it called? His like mark on his forehead is like an enchanter's mark. And he's like, well, I have mental mana. So if I use too much of it, I'll go insane. Uh, because you know, reasons. So he's like, I have to check it. So there's like a, a fallacy there. There's a, a cognitive bias, which I think was interesting. Uh, but then in book three, he's like really trying not to check his stats. So I think he only checks his stats like twice in the whole book. But even then, like even in that context, there's still technically a stat sheet, which is why I love that cradle doesn't do that basically at all, mm-hmm. at all. It's all still by like your feel. Right. I think uh, part of the reason why we like Cradle so much is how organic it feels, for sure. Um, it do- it feels really well thought out compared to a lot of series, even series that I enjoy. I think that yeah. Cradle just takes it up one one notch for sure. But yeah, yeah, um, and it. Yeah, no, I agree. Like it's it, its setting is based far enough into the like the the use of the magic system that most like a lot of the stuff is, is pretty well thought out. But with Cradle, I still feel like there's a, well, let's back up a bit with street cultivation. You're in the, you're in like the modern day technological, there are cars, there are phones, there are planes, there's electricity in arcane ascension. You have pistols and trains and locomotives that are just coming onto the scene. Uh, but in Cradle, the, I feel like the planet was going there before the dread gods broke free. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's like they're, they're like stuck. They're stuck in like a stasis where there's not a whole lot of cult, like culture progression. There's not a whole lot of, uh, there's not a whole lot of sit like people becoming a sage before Ark Lord. Um, the willpower isn't as, you know, strong ahead of time because, uh, paths are much safer, things like that. Uh, it feels like the progression of the planet itself has stagnated, even though the the way that the planet's magic is structured requires you to progress and get so much so strong that they, the Abaddon want you. But I think the Dread Gods prevent true global civilization from emerging and then allowing innovation to happen that actually allows us to segue into the next segment because there's a small theory uh cradle crazy theory that i wanted to talk about that um that we just uh, that you just made me think of which is uh, perhaps the um the progression of the planet isn't just because of the dread gods but it's because of the monarchs of the uh the current monarchs refusing to ascend um so you're kind of having a a stagnant uh top of the top of the tree so to speak like mm-hmm. nobody else is there's no room for another monarch to ascend because the everything is stabilizing so much and you've had the same leaders for hundreds of years well, what's odd is um i mean i agree like i agree with that but what's odd is there used to be room for 12 then there was only room for eight mm-hmm. and now we've heard about like the balance and there's, it's almost like there's not room for eight again. There's only room for seven. You know what I mean? Ooh. 
I mean, we don't we don't know that for sure. There could be room for eight because mm-hmm. we, we don't know what, what's going on with with Fury or what's going to happen, um, or if someone else is going to hit Monarch too. Like, so we just don't know. But be, before we transition into the theories, I want to backtrack a little bit to the uh, progression fantasy magic. Sure. Uh, like, what makes progression fantasy? And I want to like pass the ball to the to the listeners. What do y'all think? Well, what do you think? signifies a progression fantasy book let us know in the comments on youtube or uh i don't know where else can they hit us up in the discord in the discord or yeah come hang out come hang out (laughs) yeah well don't send me an email but definitely hit me up on youtube or on on the discord and let let us know what you think what are uh some great progression fantasy books that you've read in the past that now that there's a subgenre uh that would that series would fit into it i want to hear what your thoughts are um, please let us know. All right, now we can move into the crazy theories. Right. Okay. So I want to. We want to bring up the same topic as before that we promised we would uh, continue, uh, which was mm. your crazy Nethergate theory. Um, so let's remind right. the audience of what that started. I, mean, I touched as. on it. It's like okay. So there are two different theories. I kind of touched on the fact that the Nethergate is very likely has a like a portal network as part of it. Mm-hmm. But I have a super tinfoil hat theory about the Nethergate as, as like a whole, like what it used to represent and like what the labyrinth used to represent and like what it has become in the current day. And it kind of fits into what I'm saying where like the, it's almost like a post-apocalyptic cradle in my opinion. Uh, and I'll just start from the beginning. There are some things that we know. We know that the very first Abaddon came from Cradle. We know that most of the original Court of Seven came from Cradle. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pause there. What that means is the first guy or gal who ascended, there were no rules. There was no Eladari Pact. So they could go back to Cradle. They could go back to Cradle. They could bring their knowledge back. They could teach other people. They probably Mm -hmm. did because they wanted some help. You know, at the celestial level, then we have more people ascending from cradle and they were on the same side. So that leads me to believe that there was some collusion. There was some, you know, mentor mentee stuff happening that allowed for people from cradle to ascend. Now, what are you going to do if you have a working formula that allows you to have several judges like super strong people? Keep that up. You use cradle as your cradle because at the time cradle didn't have a name, right? It didn't, there was no like iteration 110. They hadn't cataloged everything yet. Very true. And so it makes me feel like if, say, let's make this like uh, like a metaphor that we can all come to know. When you meet somebody that's from your neighborhood or from your neck of the woods or from your hometown, if you live in a smaller town, you have an affinity with them. Anywhere in the world, if I meet a Texan, I feel like an affinity with them. So if I'm going to start some kind of like global organization, I feel like I can probably trust someone that comes from the same place I did (laughs) in in a way. I know that that's like, but like you you kind of get what my point here is. Right. You have the same upbringing. uh, So you have a lot of things in common just by nature. So the idea is the cradle became a hub for grooming Abaddon. Now, Something probably happened that screwed up the fate of Cradle, and they had to intervene, stop it from happening, 
and then sign the Eladari Pact. So I think that something really bad almost happened to Cradle, which forced them to sign the Eladari Pact. Now, that means that they can't jack with Cradle anymore, but it doesn't mean that what they've already done to Cradle doesn't still get to be there. What I think happens is when you like when they sign the Eladari Pact and they stop jacking with Cradle, with the fate of Cradle, they still had to intervene more often because there were still people, long-lived individuals, who knew of the Abaddon, who knew the secrets of the Abaddon, who knew how to get to Monarch and ascend and do all this stuff and create the technology. Um, they weren't ignorant yet. They still had the ability to create Abaddon-level technology. And I think that Osriel is a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. I think he was born into a civilization that was very aware of what the Abaddon could do. And when he was a monarch, he was able to create an Abaddon-level artifact called Penance. Now, how does this relate to the Nethergate? In Unsold, when Lyndon's mother is telling him, this is, if you want to know what part of the book it's in, uh, I think it's like a hundred and something pages in. It's when Lyndon is going to the tournament grounds to hide the bees, the, the remnant bees underground, and then his mom comes and catches him. And they have a conversation. Um, she tells him about how the Lee clan got an artifact, a tablet, a part of a tablet from the Nethergate. And it seems to lead everyone to believe that it talked of a portal that would allow someone to step through it and uh, arrive in another world. Right. I actually just uh, reread that uh, last week, and I I thought it was alluding to uh, Lee Marcuth coming, but maybe... It's I mean, a, Lee, uh, red hair. I mean, it, it it was it was alluding to Lee Marketh coming, right. but it implies that the, Lee Marketh existed on Cradle when that kind of knowledge was commonplace, where even a, a, a ch- like an Ark Lord would know how to train someone to open up a Class Six gate using weakened, shitty little Space Authority remnants. Mm. We're able to gather these remnants in Sacred Valley where we know that there's a suppression field. Right? So Lee Marcus had the knowledge to treat bar- like to teach barbarians how to do it. So he he came from before. But the tablet was what they had to use to make the script circle proper. It was just chilling outside the Nether Gate. The Nether Gate opens every 10 years. The Aurelius gate opens every 10 years. We know that's a portal from between continents, mm-hmm. but Sacred Valley is kind of a big deal. It, it, it's the, the whole foundation of the Sacred Valley is the labyrinth. And there's a connection with the Dread Gods. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that is a, big, is a big assumption that the Nethergate originally was a portal off world. This is how okay. Lee Marketh was able to leave when he had to leave because of new rules and restrictions. OK, mm-hmm. he was an Ark Lord, but he knew of the Eladari Pact, but he, d- he didn't seem to be an Abaddon. He wasn't wearing armor. He didn't he didn't seem to be a, me- to be a member of the Abaddon, but he still had to sign the pact, allegedly. Right. Um, so I think that the Nethergate was originally a portal off world. That's how, what they used to leave. They had to, like, break it and shut it down. I think that. Potentially, this is I mean, this is already pretty tinfoily, but there's some like some pro- progressive logic that could get you here. This is where it gets super tinfoily. I think that there's a lot of potential that Osriel was 
was fucked with, was jacked with by the Abaddon ahead of time. They manipulated him into doing whatever he did with the labyrinth that led to the dread gods being created, mm-hmm. which then basically neutered Cradle and put it into a, a state of stability, if you will, because it created a situation where the strongest, most knowledgeable people on the planet are like routinely murdered either by each other or by the dread gods because they are no longer the top of the food chain. And so they, they tend to die. And so their knowledge gets lost with them. It's probably why the, the, um, the nine cloud court, um, the, the chief Shamyar, the Shah family created their technique to pass on both knowledge and powerful spirit and icon authority, all that pass it down because it's a way for them to protect uh, that their knowledge. But even then it's not perfect. Some knowledge is lost. So over the multiple thousands of years, some knowledge has been lost, but they're still like one of the powerhouses on the planet. They have the most technology. They have the biggest cities. They have all this cool stuff. Right. Um, So I'm thinking that, the dread gods were a way to stabilize fate on cradle by neutering the knowledge of the past. I see. Not necessarily the sacred arts, but of beyond that. Hmm. That's a lot. <laughs> I know. I know. I wanted to talk about it last time. Um, it's just like, saying, that's like super, so much to think super about. deep. Um, think about it though. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. A lot of people listening to this are going to be like, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But if there was anyone that has said enough decent theories that have come true, I've said a lot of dumb ones, but enough decent ones <laughs> that this is like my grand historical unifying theory of Cradle. This is your Nobel Prize of Cradle theories? Even if like 10% of it's right, that would be so cool. Yeah, I uh... – I definitely hope that something that I've thought of is uh, true at some point. Will, if you're listening to this, please. I'm just kidding. Uh, the, what, um, what what theory would you want to be real? If you could, um, if you could pick any theory that you've made in the past to be real, what would it be? Well, the one I was talking about last time, I feel like it di- uh, divulges into the uh, into randomness that we were talking about, like all the icons that people have manifested. But I think that. Be, there being a hunger icon uh, or maybe Lyndon creating the hunger icon or something like that. I feel like that would be pretty fulfilling if that actually existed. That'd be interesting. And I feel like there's, if that is the case, like if he, uh, if that were to happen, that that had, there's got to be some sort of enlightenment that they get from that, that uh, it kind of gives you insight to the Abaddon. Um, so it would be a major plot device kind of thing if it did happen. Mm-hmm. But. Ooh, wouldn't it be weird if like right at the end of Cradle, right before they ascend, they're in like a wasteland of destroyed dread gods with like oh. hunger, madra everywhere. Yeah. And they're all like kind of like self-absorbed in that, that aura. Mm-hmm. And they all are like as a team have like an insane ambition, like guys – what if we created our own organization or it's like something, something where they're like together have a unified conceptual idea of ambition 
that they manifest oh. something like that. And then they look up and they're like, oh, who manifested it? All of us did. Yeah, that'd be crazy. And then, boom, the book ends. We'll see you next time in the oh, forthcoming series from Will White, debuting in 2025, called, <laughs> I don't know, Threshold or Sanctum or Ascension or something. Those moments are the uh, moments that I like to call being happy and angry at the same time. That's uh, the exact combination of, yeah, bittersweet. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. I don't know how I forget these words sometimes, but um, yeah, okay. for sure. The the hunger icon thing, uh, definitely want it to be true, but I'm not sure it is, but we'll see. I'm hoping I'm right. But Gotcha. I don't think, I, just for those of you listening that have heard two episodes in a row of like wild cradle theories, I don't know if I have a wilder cradle theory. Like I can tell you what theory I've made in the past that I want to be right so bad. I, I can tell you that right now. Um, do you want to hear it, Remix? Absolutely. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So I really want Ethan to have a movement technique that allows him to teleport anywhere that his spider web of information reaches. This is like 303 dimensions, 360 whatever ability to teleport up, down, left, right, center, back, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but it's only within his like ability to sense if he focuses it in, he can teleport farther, but that that's it. That, but he's like a master of his spider web, his informational spider web, because I think that he, the Abbott, the Abaddon uh, division that he most closely aligns with right now is the spider division, which would be the, and for those of you just listening, I'm throwing up quotes, the icon, the eye icon, the icon, hmm. or as we are probably assuming it is, it's called the Oracle icon based on uh, Claudia Aurelius being called the Oracle sage. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really hoping he has a movement technique where he can just teleport on his web, so only on his web. It might be a little mean of me, but here's what I really want to happen, and that is for uh, somehow that gets mentioned as a possibility to Ethan, uh, or like no. maybe somebody asks him that as a question uh, and he'll be like, don't be ridiculous. Or like, you know, he shoots it down himself. Like Ethan's so what, showing. What you really want to happen is for Will to publicly acknowledge a public theory of mine and take a big stinky shit all over <laughs> yes. it in the book. In the book. That's, it was so good. Just you know, like the uh, the Blaren uh, the Blaren name thing that they decided against. You know, I was not the first person <laughs> to name Ruby Ruby. There was another. Oh, okay. There was another Rogue Nine. Was is his Reddit part of his Reddit name? Huh. And he he mentioned Ruby. I think like thirteen hours before I did. Interesting. Well, it's a yeah. great. So name. he gets he gets the credit. But that's you know, there's probably a lot of other people that are listening right now that would it would just make their world if uh will publicly took a big old dump on one of my theories <laughs> i think i might be one of them because I, no I, you, I you are you laughing. are officially on record as being <laughs> you know the sect leader of the big old dump on bamf's the theories Banff dumping sect yeah the shit on bamf's theories sect yes well i can't i can't i, I wouldn't be surprised if if this got big enough, if something something with like a fan service type thing happened in the bloopers, it's happened before. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh no, that would be that's pretty much along the lines of what I was gonna say. So yeah, 
That's <sighs> the blooper section. One can dream this... of being. I don't know, bloopers. man. That sounds like a nightmare to me. Of <laughs> what being I, the I mean, bloopers? <laughs> no, like, well, having like a theory just oh, dumped on. Well, in, like all its majesty. I think being acknowledged in the first place is probably a pretty pretty high high uh it means that your theory probably had some clout and then people got behind it and then he's like dang this is getting pretty big i better shoot it down that's what i feel like is gonna happen you're gonna have like a whole subreddit dedicated to your theory and it's gonna be called the eighth and teleport progressive fantasy i don't know the eighth uh, and teleport paradox yeah something some huge theory there's a whole wiki page on it will white's like this is getting out of control gotta make a blooper <laughs> Were you around during the core wars? Uh, no, I don't know what that is. So I'm guessing I wasn't around. Do you remember the blooper where Lyndon is saying how that's odd? I was just cycling my heart of twin stars, preparing to split my core again. And I heard a thought like thousands of people screaming. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. And Ethan's like, oh, okay. And he's like, but then when I decided not to, I heard a different group of thousands of people screaming. <laughs> and Nathan's like, oh, that's odd. And you're sure they're two different groups? Yes. That <laughs> is an homage to the Core Wars, which was a part of Reddit history that will live on in infamy, where it was the first disagreement at a community-wide level where there were two very polarized sides and it, they got nasty. Like they were, people were, hmm. you know, personally shaming each other's families in the threads wow. talking about like one side wanted Lyndon to split his course indefinitely and have all the paths. And then the other hmm. side thought that was stupid and that no more splitting of course should ever happen. Oh, what side were you on? Well, I was, <laughs> I don't know. I was picking my nose throughout this whole thing. I, I wasn't paying attention to the to the Reddit at this point. But my, uh, I'm of the opinion that he should not split his core anymore. Like it took him eight books to create, bring all the different tools he had at his disposal into like one cohesive path, right? right. So he's been trying to develop two paths the entire time. And okay. so then eight books in, he finally brings it all together, and it takes him manifesting an icon to do it like imagine he he would be crippled in his progression he wouldn't be able to bring it all together if he had too many paths. yeah that's kind of hinted at so much in the in the second book i believe um yeah we're talking about him having two paths um yaren's like you're so dumb like why like, you suck already why are you trying to like suck like three right. times over i do remember when i first uh started the second book i Definitely thought about him splitting his cores again, and I thought that might be something that happened, and probably something that I wanted to happen. But I, that's definitely gone away now. Like just understanding well, it, more in general, like him splitting his cores is a terrible idea. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to reignite the wars here, but right. <laughs> it, it, they didn't really start until. I mean, I could be wrong here, but I don't think they started until Ethan gave Lyndon his jade cycling technique. The heaven and earth purification wheel, which was his way of bringing his two super small cores to two normal size cores, mm -hmm. which then effectively takes away the negatives. Well, not the negatives, but like the obvious magic system deficiencies. 
of it. So like the negatives of of the of the core size part, not the negatives of having to you know study two different paths and deal with having to cycle two different matter types in your body without your body like ripping itself apart, mm-hmm. which Ethan solved with the blood forged iron body. Right. So all sorts of stuff that Ethan jammed into Linden that Imagine made it all. If he hadn't met Ethan. Which, I mean, I guess was all part of the plan. I, I love, like, that's how good the writing is. Like, I have to think about it. Like, Serial being able to interact with Fate, like, totally just covers up any, like, coincidence well, sounding. She didn't even she didn't see Ethan coming either. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was the whole point of, like, the whole iteration going dark in 30 years. Was that oh. she looked at his fate, but she didn't anticipate her changing his fate coming in contact with Ethan Aurelius who had had his fate changed by Tiberian because Ethan would have never been in the black flame empire again. Mm. Had he not raided uh, Tiberian's tomb or whatever, or not Tiberian, but had he not raided uh, Osriel's tomb, convinced Tiberian that they could kill the dread gods and then have Tiberian go talk to Reagan Shen and get murked. Cause right. the, the, the end result of that conflict was Ethan coming through the portal by himself off cycle, which is interesting enough. Yeah. I feel like I need a, I need a side story f- uh, from when that happened. We definitely need like a, a little novella of Ethan uh, watching that happen. Yeah. At some point, I don't know if, if, if we're requesting novellas, <laughs> I think it'd be cool to get a novella from Fury's point of view, like during one of his epic ancient battles, like, yeah. what did he do that led to him being a mythological figure in some cultures? Or even, I'll do you one. I'll do you one better. What if we get like a, a a little short story of him fighting against the the four cults and against uh, Zorus? Yeah, that'd be like obviously we don't know what the repercussions of that battle are, but imagine being inside Fury's head when he's like sitting there cycling, waiting to hear about Yaren. And because he's he's going Monarch regardless, right? Right. And so he's thinking like, hmm, how am I going to do this? This is going to be so much fun. This is going to be so much fun. Oh, but this would be so much better if they weren't suspecting it. Oh, man, I hope Yaren wins. And he's like inside his head, just like, you know, I feel like inside Fury's head, he's like playing with toys in his own mind or something, like doing something simple. Fury is Just like definitely- wanting to fight. He's a stereotypical ADHD for sure. He's yeah. just he's, one thing. He's to Goku. Next. Yeah. He's Goku from Dragon Ball Z. So uh, that'd be cool to get inside his head and to feel him, like to get a POV of him fighting. I think that would be extra special. Oh, yeah. That'd be sick. So we'll get on it. Uh, we need a couple of side novellas from you uh, just as soon as you get back yeah. from the break. Well, no, no, yeah. No writing right now. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your vacation. It, it just started. <laughs> but in when you fact, get back. <laughs> Sam, if you're listening to this, Rebecca, if you're listening to this, don't share it with Will. <laughs> because yeah. I don't want you to give him ideas to take a big fat dump on my theories publicly. Uh, definitely do that. Just just to sh- share the segment where we want him to dump on his theories. You don't have to show oh, well, the first else. time. The first time Will hears about this podcast is whenever we're asking him to do an interview, an innocent little interview, where we talk to him about writing. Well, and I mean, it better be a solo episode because I'm definitely going to mention this now. So, oh my god! <laughs> okay, well, 
maybe he'll just be the nice guy that he is and he'll never do it, which I think is <laughs> he'll never do it. OK, I think is less likely than him actually doing it, which is a yeah. sad, sad thing. I think the likelihood of him doing it is low, but I think the likelihood of him purposefully not doing it out of the kindness of his heart is less likely. He might just not do it just because he doesn't care and he doesn't want us to like he has his own thoughts about his story, which is what should be. Mm-hmm. But anyway, who fans of this podcast or fans of Cradle, what did you think of the super crazy tinfoil hat theory I have about the history of Cradle, the Nethergate being a portal to another world and how Cradle has been since neutered using the Dread Gods to erase knowledge of the Apadon's past dealings on cradle right we need more people to be dumping on his theories because i can't do it by myself so Gosh, please you know let me know. Uh, i hope no one listens to this. <laughs> we're gonna be talking into the no one <laughs> uh yeah but definitely let us know what you think about all of this stuff and leave your own crazy tinfoil theory hats in the uh in the comments or in the discord for sure and we might address them uh, in the next episode and we hope you guys had a wonderful holiday I think we're pretty much out of time for this episode. We are. We're wrapping it up. Thank you for listening. Yeah. So until next time, I'll catch you guys later. Request information. Information requested. <laughs> later.